coming to you live from Canada. Here comes your game-changing, life-transforming turning point moment. <clears throat> yes, this is the sign you've been looking for. You're listening to Engage City Church. Powered by hope, not hype. Online at engagechurch.ca. So today, just like I did in the last series, I'm going to use this first message to drop a backdrop, a base of knowledge, so we can jump off from there and move into uh, move into uh, the series uh, as we move ahead. Is anybody ready? <laughs> first week back, worst response ever. Okay, great. All right, if you who's got a Bible? Anyone got a Bible with them today? A hard copy? Any hard copies in the house? Uh, and no. Okay. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28. Trina's going to help you out because she's nice like that. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, and all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Now, uh, you're like, hey, we talked about this in the last series. Yes, it's called continuity. We're going to carry it forward. Here's, here's the amazing part about this portion of Scripture. Has anyone ever um, wondered what it would be like to hear God talk to himself? And by that, I mean the Trinity, like. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Has anyone wondered how they communicate? This portion of Scripture that just disappeared was actually uh, the first recorded conversation between the Trinity. God said, hey guys, in a huddle. I think they were huddling, like in football. Hey guys, let us make man in our own image. This is going to be awesome. And Jesus goes, so you want to make them, or am I going to make them? Holy Spirit says, I'm just hovering here over the waters. Uh, what, what, what's my role in this thing? And they have this conversation. Let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. It's like, hey, what do you think that they should be like? Well, I think they should be like us. Okay, that's awesome. This is an insight into the first conversation recorded in history of the Trinity. That is a cool thing. That is a cool thing. God, the template for humanity is what? God. God is the template for humanity. We are made in his image. We are image bearers. We are made for a purpose. We are made for a reason. Now there's a distinguishing factor uh, about the Trinity, and that is that they are three in one. The Trinity is three in one. God, Father, Holy Spirit. There's two elements that are important about that. First of all, we're introduced to the first family. The first family it's not just Adam and Eve. The first family is God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So Scripture introduces us to, us to this idea of family first in the Godhead, and then he says, I'm going to put the first family on earth, Adam and Eve. He establishes a template or a pattern. God creates a priority around family. The first family meeting creates the first family. Now, this is how important family is. If you've got a Bible, you can skip ahead in the paper version, or just me, or in your U version to, to Genesis chapter 5. And this, this 
opens up a really important uh, trend in Scripture and something that you're all not going to like that much, which I call the begats. Now, depending on your translation, it says different things. We don't really need to get up on the screen because uh, it goes like this. When Adam was 130 years old, he became the father of a son who was just like him in his very image. His name, his, he named his son Seth. After the birth of Seth, Adam lived another 800 years. Seth was 105 years old. Uh, old. He became the father of Enosh. After Enosh, he lived another 807 years. And it goes on and, and it lists it in the old uh, New King James. In the King James translation, it says, Adam begot Seth. Seth begot Enoch, and it just goes down. It says, begat, 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 begat. It's all the family history of people. Why is that a significant thing? Because God puts an emphasis or a priority on family. God puts an emphasis on family. In Genesis 6, we turn the page, and then we discover something else. We discover, uh, in my Bible, the little headline at the top of Genesis chapter 6 is the world gone wrong. Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, Then the people began to multiply on earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the beautiful women and took... uh, and took any they wanted as their wives. And the Lord said, My spirit will not put up with humans for such a long time, for they are only mortal flesh. In the future, their, their normal lifespan will be no more than 120 years. Skip ahead to verse 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on earth, and he saw everything that they thought or they imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the world, when left to its own devices, your family, when left to its own devices, even when it comes from a good place, a perfect place, when it comes from God, when we, when we count on ourselves and we trust on ourselves only, we end up in a place where we're totally wicked. This, this account leads us to a man named Noah. Verse 9, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth's a good name. God finds Noah, and he says, Noah, I need you to build me a big boat. I'm going to flood the earth. We're going to start again. We're going to hit the reset button. I want your family to be the new first family. So God gives him a plan. Noah trusts God. He obeys God. He builds a boat. The waters come. The whole earth is flooded. They live on the boat with the animals until one day they stop. And God makes a promise In Genesis chapter 10, sorry, Genesis chapter 9, then God blessed Noah and his sons and told them, this might sound familiar, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, all the animals of the earth, all the birds of the sky and the small animals that scurry along the ground and all the fish in the sea will look on you with fear and terror. I have placed them in your power. I have given them to you for your food, just as I have given you grain and vegetables, but you must never eat any animal that has the lifeblood in it. And so God sets Noah and his family aside and says, listen, it's your turn now. We're going to hit reset, fill the earth, subdue. It's going to come through your family. Your family has been proven to trust and obey me, and now I'm going to trust you to fill the earth and subdue it. 
Genesis 10 leads us to another chapter of begats as they begin to repopulate the earth from family to family to family to family to family. And that takes us to Genesis chapter 11. We're doing an Old Testament. This is called an Old Testament survey. We're just going through Genesis. Getting, bring you up to speed. Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel. At the time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words as the people migrated to the east. They found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began to say to each other, let's make bricks and harden them with fire. In this region, brick were used instead of stone, and tar, uh, tar was used for mortar. Then they said, come, let's build a great city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. In that way, the Lord scattered them all over the world and they stopped building the city. That is why the city was called Babel, because that is where the Lord confused the people with different languages. In this way, he scattered them all over the world. Now, when we look at Genesis chapter 11, we find this, this account of the Tower of Babel. There's something in it that, that never really sat right with me. And I don't know if you've experienced this. When you read it, you go, all the people came together. They all came together in unity. They built an incredible city. They occupied more ta- territory. They built an incredible tower. Now, I don't know how high, it's no Stantec tower, but they, you know, they, they, they're building a big tower, a tower that they thought was going to reach into the heavenlies that w- would, would set them apart, and they actually thought that the tower was going to reach so high that they would be able to sit in the highest place of the heavens with God. You see, unity is a precious thing. The only thing more precious than unity is unity with Jesus. Unity with the plan. See, in Genesis chapter 9, when when God told Noah, he said, listen, through you and your family, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. He gave them a list of promises, and part of that promise was that they were going to occupy the whole earth, that God was going to spread them across the whole earth. You see, we see this and we go, man, God was a big meanie because he came in and he really ruined their plans, and then he went poof, and they couldn't speak a language, and then he made them all disappear all across the earth. Like, why is God God so mean when people just want to work together? Like, he just wants to, we should just bring people together. See, there's a consistent theme in the book of Genesis that emerges. First, family. And then this pattern where God says, will you trust me? Will you obey me? Will you trust me? Will you obey me? He trusted them to fill the earth. He trusted them to be fruitful. He trusted them to build great cities and to multiply, but they always knew that God's plan was to scatter them. This wasn't out of the blue. This wasn't something new. They always knew that they were going to be separated, which is exactly why they chose to do this, so that they wouldn't be. When they came together, when they got together, when they all teamed up, they said, listen, if we get together, we're going to do the same thing Adam and Eve did. If we get together and we build this tower, we will be like God, and he cannot separate us. He cannot drive us apart. He cannot change our languages. And God's like, watch me now. Scattered. 
over and over and over in the book of Genesis, we find people with a great beginning coming from great families who end up standing up to God, saying, you're trying to hurt me. You're trying to do something I don't want to do, and I'm not going to let you do that. And every single time humanity stands up to to God and does that, God says, now I'm going to have to deal with you, just like any other dad. You know, if my son comes up to me, says, Dad, no. I just look at him like, excuse me? No, he's four. That's not how this works, son. (laughs) I'll just lift him up and move him out of the way. What did God do? These people stand up, throw a temper tantrum, say, God, my way is for surely better than your way. If if humanity would just come together, if we would just stay together, this is what you really want, God. You don't want to separate us. We've got a better plan. We've got a better idea. Listen, we've got our family together. We've got a group together. Everyone here is friends, like we're singing Kumbaya around the tower. God, we've got a better way than you to do this thing. Why don't you just trust us? And God says, no, no, no. Why don't you get this? Why don't you just trust me? I put you here. I created I know what you're capable of. Just imagine what we could do together instead of us always fighting against one another. Imagine what you and I could do if we embrace the plan, the vision, the words of God for our life instead of fighting against God at every turn, at every corner. The first, the whole book of Genesis is a back and forth tug of war between God's people and God. God says, will you trust me? Will you obey me? They say, no, we will not. Until Abraham. Now, when I was a little kid in Sunday school, we sang a song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had fathers. Just sing along. And I'm one of them. And so... So let's just praise the Lord right hand. Father and then I don't really know. I, can't, I couldn't remember the last part, so I was pretty good up until the last part. We sang about Father Abraham. You know, Abraham, the father of all these nations, uh, this great guy. He's like the amazing thing. It's God hits the reset button again after Noah because that didn't work out. And he finds this guy, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, listen, I need you to trust me. I need you to obey me. I want you to take your family, take your company, and I want you to move everybody with, you know, bring Lot, your cousin, nephew, whatever, and just move out to this other area, which will eventually become the promised land. And if you do that, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to start a family for you, and that family will become my people, a mighty nation. I love this verse in Genesis chapter 12. Then the Lord said to Abram, leave your native country, your relatives, your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. It's kind of a big promise. All the families on earth will be blessed. If you trust me, if you obey me, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So God says, I'm going to start a new family. That family through Abraham 
That marked the beginning of the nation of Israel. That was the start. That's how it started. With Abraham. The nation of Israel, God's people that we understand throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament, those are the chosen people of God. Because Abraham chose to trust and obey. See, God said, I'm going to give you an heir. I'm going to give you a son. Some of you may be very familiar with this story. Some of you are hearing it for the very first time. Abraham tried on his own to make that happen. (laughs) Slept with his wife's servant so that they could have, you know, a a child. And God said, no, 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 you're going to have your own son. You and Sarah, your wife, you're going to have your own son. You don't need to come up with your own plan, with your own ways of executing my plan. You see, that's, that's a tendency that you and I have is we always try and figure out a way to figure out God's plan. But it's impossible to accomplish what God has called you to do without God. God says, no, I'm going to give you that promise. You're going to bless all the families on the earth. They're going to be blessed through you, but you have to trust me. And so finally, when Abraham and Sarah were 99 years old, they had this baby. Now, that is a miracle. But you can't tell me that sometime along the way, Abraham didn't get frustrated. <laughs> he already, he already, we know he already tried to come up with his own solution time after time after time. But he, he became the father of the nation of Israel because... Ultimately, he trusted in Jesus. He obeyed in the plan. This is the beginning of God's family, a family that grew and grew and grew into a mighty nation with 12 tribes. Now, here's why this is important. In Romans chapter 11, I'm just going to fast forward. In Romans chapter 11, Scripture says this, But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the root of God's special olive tree. Here's what that means. This is the branches, this is the leaves, this is the tree. This is, what, this is why this is all important and why we're setting this stage. God's chosen people were the people of Israel. That was his plan. His plan was to have a group of people, this this nation of Israel. Those were his chosen people. But when Jesus came, many of his own chosen people rejected him. They said, no, 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 that's not the prophet. That's not the Messiah that's been promised. That's not the guy who's been prophesied about. We don't trust in Jesus. And God says, listen, this is the same cycle of trusting, obey. I need you to trust me and obey me that Jesus is the way. And they said, no, 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 we're rejecting now. We're waiting for another Messiah. We're waiting for somebody else. God says, well, that was my plan that was my purpose for you was Jesus and they rejected the salvation that was available through Jesus and so God threw the doors wide open he said listen I'm opening up my family tree I'm opening up my family tree and anyone who will call upon my name anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and in in some very creative bible language God says all of those who are not of the Jewish nation are like a giant olive tree and I'm going to put you onto my I'm going to graft your branch onto my tree. You're going to become a part of the family. Romans 8 verse 15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba Father. All that to say, the moment we accept Jesus Christ into our lives, 
is the moment we become a part of the family of God. God made a way. There's a complicated theological way that God made it possible for you and I to call him Abba Father. Abba, not the singing group. The best translation that we could come up with is daddy. A term of endearment from a small child to their father. So God, God said more than just a church, more than just a religion, more than just a set of ethics or beliefs, I'm bringing you into my family. I'm bringing you into my house. It's one of the reasons why we call churches the house of God. Because God throws the door open. He says, all you have to do is trust me. And trust me, if you listen to my voice and follow me, things are going to be all right. Things are going to be better than you could have ever imagined. In fact, they're going to be abundantly more, exceedingly more than you could have ever asked or imagined. When we put our hope and our faith in Jesus, he says, welcome Welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the family of God. This idea of family started in the very beginning of Scripture. It's woven all the way through the entire Bible. You and I are now living in the fruition of these words. You're a part of a local expression, a local church also a family of God. See, the Bible gave the nation of Israel specific ways that they should treat other people. And what's interesting is he always started his list in the Old Testament with honor your father and your mother. And all the parents said amen. It's like, that's right. That's how you start this thing. Honor your father and your mother. I think he probably says that because he's also kind of just subtly reminding us that he's our father. (laughs) Oh, yeah, the same way I want my kids to honor me, I should probably honor him. But this is what it says in Leviticus 19. It says in verse 33 and 34, Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Love them as you love yourself. Does that sound familiar? Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember that you were once foreigners living in the land of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. In Deuteronomy 27, verse 19, it says, Cursed, that's right, cursed, is anyone who denies justice to foreigners, orphans, or widows. God gives these these commandments, he gives these, these, uh, these, these tasks, these outcomes. He said, listen, when, when people are coming and they don't know and they're not a part of you and they want to be a part of you because they see this love and they see this family and they see the way you care for one another and they see the way that you take care of each other. When, when other people see this and other people want to come and they want to join your nation, they want to come and they want to join your family, don't slam the wall shut in front of them. Don't slam the door shut. Throw the door wide open and say, come on in. 
And he says also, take care of those who can't take care of themselves. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. The foreigners, the orphans, the widows. Psalm 68 verse 5 says that God is the father to the fatherless. The defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in his sun-scorched land. God places the lonely in families. Take care of those who can't take care of themselves. So now because God brought, uh, brought us in when we were foreigners, when we had no right, to be a part of his family. God brought us into the family. He now turns to us as the family of God, as a local church, as a local expression. And he says, I need you, Spruce Grove. I need you, Engage City Church, to take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. I've mentioned this before, and I'll probably mention it again. In Christianity, by and large, we've actually made family an idol. And what I mean by that is us four and no more. My family unit, our little thing, us, this grouping, this family grouping, the four of us or five of us, however many there are in our family, this is the highest thing, and everything else needs to revolve around it. And we've taken all these scriptures and all these verses and this template and this emphasis on family and we've used it to elevate our own family. But what we've done as a byproduct of trying to take care of ourselves is that we've closed the doors to those, uh, to those who aren't a part of us. We said that our family is the highest priority. Each of our own families individually. The nuclear family, us four and no more. Even the built form has contributed to this. I've mentioned this before, that, that, that in the early 50s, we saw a shift in the way that homes were built. And homes went from a, a, a front walk-up porch, which invited community, to a front-attached garage, which made a little moat for our own castle where we could drive into the safety of our own home, close the world out behind us. Our whole world is patterned and programmed for us to protect ourselves from everybody else, to withdraw into our kingdom of comfort. When God says, weren't you a foreigner at one time? Weren't you somebody who didn't have a family? Didn't I call you by name and bring you into my family? Didn't I say that we should take care of those who can't take care of themselves? See, when we, when we hear the word family, we default to our family unit. So I wonder how jarring it must have been when Jesus said these words in Matthew 6, or sorry, Matthew, sorry, Mark 3. Jesus replied, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, look, 
These are my mothers and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. Now, I'm not telling you to shun your family. (laughs) I'm not telling you to hate your family. I'm not saying any of that. In fact, the reason Jesus said this is because Jesus entered a house. It got so busy, so crowded, that the di- Jesus and his disciples couldn't even eat. Jesus was casting out demons, and other people, the, the, including the Pharisees and all the religious leaders who wanted to arrest Jesus, were showing up, telling people that Jesus was filled with the devil himself. And so Mary and, and Jesus' brothers were showing up to have a polite conversation with Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, why don't you just tone it down a little bit? You're getting a little crazy with the demon casting out. Why don't you just chill a little bit? All these people, they're getting a little angry. Just relax. Jesus, I'm the mother of God. You should relax. And Jesus is like, I am not going outside. Mom, I'm not going to talk to my Who is my mother? I'm a grown man. I'm 31 years old. Mom, who is my mother? Who is my brother? See, we read it as an exclusionary statement. But Jesus didn't make an exclusionary statement. He made an inclusive statement. The inclusive statement says, yeah, that's my mom. Those are my brothers. But so are you. And so are you. And so are you. So are you. So are you. Anyone who's with me on this journey, anyone who's walking with me, anyone who's talking with me, anyone who will trust and obey and put their faith in me, you are my mother, and you are my brother, and you are my sister, and we are the family of God. You see, in John 13, uh, 35, Jesus said this, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. The way our relationships work here reflect the love of Jesus to those outside these walls. The way our relationships work here are part of the way that people view Jesus. And so, when we're talking about this idea of friends, we're talking about the family of God. You and I are a part of the family of God. This church is the family of God. We are family. You are my brother. You're my wife, but you're my sister. (laughs) Do you know what's a a signifying factor? Love, overwhelming love. (laughs) The way we love one another, but also the way that we take care of those who cannot take care of themselves. The way we throw open our doors and say, Come on in. The way we treat the person sitting beside us, even though they might not look right or talk right or be Christian enough for your appetite. The way that we say anyone can come here. Anyone. The problem with that statement is that we actually mean anyone. The real problem with that statement is that I don't like everyone. And neither do you. (laughs) So God is taking us on a journey. Jesus is taking us on a journey as a church, as the family of God, 
to, to increase our capacity to love. Here's what's significant about that. As our capacity to love increases, the demographics are going to change. The room is going to change. The type of person that you now welcome into your home is going to change. Even more significant than that. As God begins to increase your capacity to love, more compassion, more mercy begins to flow through your heart. Because you go, oh wait, while we were still sinners, Jesus died on the cross. There is no difference between me and that person. Jesus did the same thing for me that he did for them. And as that begins to flow, do you know what a, you know what a significant marker was on every one of Jesus' miracles that he performed? Compassion. Scripture said, Jesus, you know, Luke 7, that's, you, know, you know that's my jam. Widows walking down the street, funeral procession for her dead son on a stretcher. And at just the right time, at just the right place, they come to an intersection where they meet Jesus. And Scripture says that Jesus was overwhelmed with compassion. He was filled with compassion. He looked at the widow because he always takes care of the widows. He says, get up. And the boy comes to life. A marker of the miraculous is the compassion of Jesus. It's the love of God. If you don't love people, we can't, if we can't get ourselves beyond our preconceived ideas. You will never live the life that you were fully intended to live, that you were created to live with Jesus. Sometimes we love the miracles and the miraculous so much that we forget that behind each miracle is a person, is a story. God loves that person so much that he breaks through the natural, with the supernatural. You've been listening to The Engage Life, powered by Engage City Church. If you like what you heard, check out engagechurch.ca.